0: Please be advised this story contains adult content and graphic language. If she's trying to look into his apartment from your balcony and he's already arrested, knowing what so many people have told me about Rachel, it seems like she was checking out whether or not you could see if she was there at the apartment that night.
1: 100 percent. I don't doubt it at all.
0: Welcome to Sleuth. I'm Linda Sawyer. This week on Sleuth, we decided to do something very different with our podcast. We have three separate interviews over the next three nights, one with Ashley Mathis, another with Kristen Bergamasco, who is now Kristen Crane, and the last being Daniel Halkyard. These individuals, I felt very strongly, could have been witnesses in either Dan Wozniak's trial or Rachel Buffett's trial, and I wanted our listeners to hear from them. They have compelling, sometimes very shocking stories about their experiences with Rachel Buffett, Tim Wozniak, and Daniel Wozniak. We've decided to separate each interview into their own specific episode, with each new episode airing again over the next three nights. So first up, we're going to hear from Ashley Mathis. And Ashley was a friend and member of that Taco Tuesday group that always convened together at Dave Barnhart and Jake Sweat's apartment at the Camden Martiniques. And she lived at Camden Martinique. She knew Sam very well. She knew Julie. She also knew Dan and Rachel. And she had some experiences, particularly with Rachel, soon after the murders and for a couple weeks after those murders that you'll definitely want to hear. So without further ado, let's listen as I interview Miss Ashley Mathis. Hello. Hi, Ashley Mathis. This is Linda Sawyer. Welcome to Sleuth.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. I got a lot to say about this one.
0: So first, give us a sense of, you know, your thoughts on when you first met her and and what your feelings were, and, and then you can certainly, you know, go from there and, and tell us your experiences and why you feel the way you do about her.
1: Okay, so I met Rachel a couple weeks before Sam and Julie's murders. I think I told you this before, but we had, like, a family dinner that we took turns hosting every week. And the week before Sam and Julie were killed, I hosted that dinner at my house. And Rachel and Dan were both there. And it was the first time I really got to talk to her because before that I knew her like an acquaintance, but not, I'd never really considered her a friend. Um, She just kind of rubbed me the wrong way from the beginning. Just all my interactions with her. She just seemed very fake. And I just, she, I just wasn't a fan of her. So my first impression of her was this girl is not somebody that I want to be around. And then the following week, uh, when we found out about Sam and Julie and it was the day after Dan was arrested. And so she showed up, knocked on the door and Haley and I came outside and sat on the ground with her. And she was making phone calls, notifying family that Dan was in jail and that the wedding was off. And that really rubbed me the wrong way because I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, this girl is showing zero emotion. This is supposed to be her wedding day. Her fiance is getting charged with double murder. She's sitting here telling her family about this with zero emotion, like never shed a tear. She was very like, it was kind of like the conversations that she was having were rehearsed. Like she had thought about what she was going to have to say to these people. And it was like, it was like scripted. And I remember looking at Haley and thinking like, there's something not right with this girl. You know, like this was supposed to be her wedding day. She's not crying. She's completely put together, like almost like she was expecting it. So that was my first encounter with her after Dan had been arrested. That really upset me. I told Haley, I remember after the conversations and she went back to her apartment, Haley and I went inside and I said to Haley, there's something not right with her.
0: Like almost disassociated.
1: Right. Right right like she had no emotions attached to the situation whatsoever to any normal person like myself that were my wedding day and my fiance had just been charged with double homicide I would be freaking out like I would be in most people would the point where like yes so that her reaction and the way that she carried those conversations was really abnormal to me in that moment I knew that she knew more than she was leading on
0: did you feel like she was intoxicated? Did she come with a glass of wine or?
1: So not that day. So then um, about a week later is when she came to our apartment. She'd only been to our apartment twice. One at the dinner party and two when she came and knocked on our door and had those conversations on her wedding day. So then she came over a third time about a week later. Didn't even knock on our door. And she just walked in with a glass of wine. I remember it was about, like, 6 o'clock, 6.30. And she just came barging into our apartment with a glass of wine and walked straight, like, beelined it to the balcony. And Haley and I were sitting on the couch like, what are you doing here? And she was like, oh, I want to see the view of the sunset from your balcony. Knowing very well that her apartment building, which was the same apartment building as Sam's, blocked our view of the sunset.
0: So their apartment building was like right across the way. If you went out to your deck, you could basically see across into Sam's apartment.
1: You could see into Sam's apartment. I mean, our balcony faced their apartment. Okay. Like straight across. So if you walk out on our balcony and Sam's blinds were open, you could see into his living room and kitchen.
0: So she made a beeline right for your deck?
1: Right to my deck. Yep. And Haley and I stood up like, what are you doing here? Didn't even knock. Just opened the door and welcomed herself in. And she had the attitude of everything's okay. I'm drinking my glass of wine, going to look at the sunset. Your, your fiancé is in jail for a double murder. And you come barging into somebody's apartment that you barely know. Didn't even knock. Just opened the door and walked in and welcomed yourself into our house. And just go straight to our balcony to look at the sunset, knowing very well that we can't see it because your building blocks it. So Haley and I both stood up and walked over to her and told her, you need to get out of our apartment. Because at that point, her and I both knew that Rachel knew more than she was leading on. We knew that she was lying. We knew she, she knew more than she was saying. And it really upset us. And the fact that I think that she welcomed herself in because she knew that we would not let her come in
0: if she knocked. So I
1: think her motive was to see if if we could see anything into Sam's apartment.
0: That seems like what her intent was, and that was at the time what you determined her intent was, that there was a nefarious reason why she was there.
1: Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Haley and I were really upset, and we were trying to voice to her that we would like her to leave. She wouldn't leave. And so I eventually grabbed her by her hair and pulled her out of our apartment because I was so mad.
0: That's how I, strongly I, you felt about that she was there because she was perhaps involved. And why do you absolutely. think she was looking into the apartment, into Sam's apartment?
1: I think that she wanted to see if maybe we saw anything. Because she's, I think she's trying to cover her tracks or Dan's tracks, just seeing if there were any witnesses, any possible witnesses to anything that might have gone down. During the murders, I, I have no doubt in my mind that's what she was looking for, to see if we had a clear
0: view into the crime scene. Was she on the conversation? Did she have her cell phone? Was she talking to anybody?
1: She wasn't talking to anybody. It was just her and her glass of wine.
0: And, you know, I makes me think about a conversation she had with police after Dan was arrested that Wednesday night from his bachelor party. And they brought her in. I think you were at at Jay's apartment and Dave was there and Miles was there. And I think Rachel was there and the police came in and they brought her back to Costa Mesa, if you recall, that night. And I think she told police when police told her they knew what time Julie arrived and what time she was murdered. I remember noticing how flustered she seemed on the tape when she realized they knew exactly what time Julie arrived in Sam's apartment and what time she was murdered. She, she seemed very nervous about that. Like, you know, the time that Julie arrived, you know, the exact time. And it makes you wonder if she's, if she's trying to look into his apartment from your balcony and he's already arrested, knowing what, so many people have told me about Rachel. It seems like she was checking out whether or not you could see if she was there at the apartment that night.
1: 100%. I don't doubt it at all.
0: Do you think her role in Sam Hare and Julie Kabishi's murders, do you think her role was more than accessory?
1: I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that she knew before it happened. Otherwise, she would have reacted differently when she found out. And that is my own personal opinion, but any normal person that didn't know about a plot to kill somebody, especially friends, I mean, they were friends.
0: Who who are you talking about? Who are you referring to when you say they are friends?
1: Rachel and Dan were friends with Sam. And if, if she had no idea that Dan was plotting to kill Sam and Julie, she would have reacted differently when she found out. And she didn't react. She never shed a tear. She didn't show any emotion. So that makes me think she knew what was going to happen before it happened. She had time to prepare herself if things went south and Dan got caught. She already had time to think about how to cover her own track.
0: You felt like everybody else that knew Sam and knew Julie, everybody else was pretty upset, right?
1: Absolutely. We were all a disaster. I mean, it was really hard to swallow. It was really hard on all of us. It was very emotional, and it was probably, I mean, definitely one of the hardest times in my life.
0: And do you feel that you're not alone in your feelings about Rachel and her role in in these murders?
1: Oh, I know I'm not. I absolutely know I'm not. Anybody that lived at the Kansas Martinique apartment complex and was part of our family, like our close-knit group of friends, we all feel the same way about Rachel.
0: Whenever you do have a chance to connect, is that a topic of conversation?
1: It has come up, uh, especially when I've talked to uh, Haley and Jake.
0: And Haley was your roommate at the time, and Jake Sweat was Dave Barnhart's roommate, both at the Camden Martiniques.
1: Yeah. Um, but I think that as time has gone on, especially with Jake, those wounds taken a long time to heal. So we try not to talk about it unless there's something going on with the trial that we would like to discuss or whatnot. So it has come up in conversation, and that's how I know that we all are on the same page as far as Rachel Buffett goes.
0: And do you include in that group Dave Barnhart?
1: I haven't spoken to Dave directly, but I know that Jake has, and I know that Haley has. And both of them mentioned that he was very upset about the Rachel situation as well. And he felt that she had something to do with it.
0: So he has he has changed his opinion then because he obviously for a long time had strong feelings for her. And I think that might have clouded some of his judgment.
1: I think I know that you're right. Um, I didn't know I had heard rumors about Dave and Rachel before everything happened. But after, afterwards is when I heard about it, and it made sense. Because I do remember he was kind of in denial about Rachel being involved in the whole situation. But I'm not sure if this is true or not, but just from the very few conversations I've had with Jake and Haley, is that he might have changed his mind about Rachel and her involvement.
0: Over the but years. Like I, said,
1: I, I haven't spoken. Yeah, I haven't spoken to him directly, so I don't know. But that was my understanding.
0: Well, I actually have been in contact with Dave intermittently throughout this investigation. And he told me that he did have a relationship with Julie. In fact, he slept with her two nights before she was murdered. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. He did. And I believe he might've shared that with Rachel And knowing Rachel as you do, even though I know it's not extensively, but you certainly seem to know her. jealousy. Yes, I'm wondering if that was part of it.
1: it. It might have sure as well could been.
0: Do you feel as if, I know that these were friends of yours that you lost and friends that you thought maybe at the time were fake and phony, but... Not psychotic killers. Was it just shocking to find out what your new friends were capable of?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it blew my mind because Dan Wozniak came off as this fun, outgoing guy that everybody got along with. You wouldn't think that he would be capable of something like that. So when we found out that it was Dan, it was beyond shocking. I mean, and the brutality of the murder. I mean, Sam was one of the most gentle, kind-hearted people I have ever met in my entire life. He was so sweet. I mean, he was such a doll. And knowing what happened to him at the hands of one of his friends is awful. Awful.
0: Especially he was going to help him.
1: Absolutely, yes. I mean, Sam took time out of his day to go help Dan move these items or whatever and it was all a plot to kill him. I mean, that is so cold-hearted and evil, it just it's still hard to grasp to this day and the brutality of what he did to Sam after he killed him, like that it's something that is very hard to grasp.
0: The dismemberment.
1: Yes, it's awful. I mean, it is, it's sickening and having spoken with Dan and the fact that he like went on stage and performed that same night is disgusting to me. Like, how can you carry on your normal life after what you just did to two of your friends?
0: Yeah, it's like I a real life it. Phantom of the Opera.
1: It really is. It's like, it's psychotic.
0: You you kill your friend in the attic of the theater and that night you're on stage performing.
1: Exactly. I just don't understand it. That is
0: not normal. And And then to go back, like you perform, I mean, he, he murdered Sam in the attic of the theater. He goes on stage that night and performs to a sellout crowd applause. And, and then he goes back to his house and lures Julie to Sam's apartment and kills her. And then the next day he's back to the theater, dismembering Sam. And then he's got a performance that night. I know. It's sick. It is sick. And Sam, I mean, the way he got Sam's PIN number, because obviously he couldn't, He the the, the plan would not have gone off if he couldn't get Sam's PIN number. And even the evil right. way in which he got that, because he goes to Sam and asks him to help him, give him money for, you know, stave off his eviction... And he goes with Sam to get... Sam says, I'll give you $100 for your wedding. You don't have to pay me back. And he goes with Sam and looks over his shoulder to get the PIN number. So so he knew, okay, now the plan is on. I'm going to murder you.
1: Yep. It's just... it. It's unbelievable.
0: It, it's truly I mean, unfathomable. I about it to
1: this day. Yeah, eight years later, and it's still hard to swallow.
0: It just it's feels just, like a, yeah. it was... A, Straight out of some kind of Alfred Hitchcock movie, <laughs> they thought they oh, were yeah. acting a part.
1: Yep. It's yeah, it's crazy. It makes me wonder were they acting the entire time? As soon as they found out about Sam's financial situation, it, it's really hard not to believe that they were acting with everybody. Like to become close with this person, Sam, I just felt like they had ul- ulterior motives just makes me wonder like were any of those friendships and relationships real or were they all acting because even when rachel went on dr phil she had to force herself to cry then and make herself look innocent but she couldn't even squeeze out one tear telling her family that the wedding's off because her fiance is arrested for double homicide of two of her friends she is one hell of an actress if she can put on that kind of act on dr phil to make herself look innocent i have no doubt that she can put on an ask for the rest of the people in her life
0: well, she really you could see that her whole demeanor changed when Dr. Phil said you're an actress now and a very good one. Oh my gosh, that was enough to just make her straighten up and smile and she just thought, "Wow, yep. I'm on national TV and Dr. Phil's calling me a great actress." In fact, it made reminded yep. me of several conversations I had with some of her girlfriends that stood by her when she was arrested back in November of 2012 and All of the news accounts were ex-fiancee of Wozniak arrested for accessory after the fact, right? And she was telling her friends, do you hear them? Do you hear the news reports? They're calling me an actress. She didn't care that she was being accused of being an accomplice in a double murder. She cared more that she was being uh, lauded as this actress.
1: Yeah, her mind is elsewhere. She wants to play the victim, and it's all about herself. It's not about anybody else or the family's suffering or the suffering that her and Dan have caused us as Sam and Julie's friends. All she cares about is herself.
0: And those charges of accessory after the fact are actually based on Rachel's lies with the idea that she was supposedly covering up for Dan. Yep. But I think... It had nothing to do with Dan at that point. I don't think she cared one iota about the fact that he was going down. You're dead already, babe, she tells him in one of her calls. I think she just wanted to do whatever she could to make sure she got away clean and she was covering up her own role.
1: Yeah, because she's smart. The way that she warded those jail calls about the bag of evidence and all the little comments that she made about that, it's like she made that her voice was on recording sounding as innocent as she possibly could, yet there was still no emotion in her voice zero
0: I think you just nailed it right on the head. I believe that those calls were were scripted alibis that she could say go to the recordings listen in fact, she said it at Dr. Phil. It's all on the recordings. go listen to the recordings where she's feigning that she doesn't know any details about the plot and what he did and and uh she just wanted to make sure that she sounded like an innocent bystander
1: absolutely it was all planned it was all playing rachel's game she played a lot of people like fiddles it's really sad
0: do you feel like she was the matriarch in that relationship was she in control did dan do whatever rachel wanted
1: i do believe that i really do i mean just and The only reason I say that with confidence is because of how she behaved and how she spoke in the days following Dan's arrest and the behavior that came in the following week. I remember her getting out of my balcony, and I would see Rachel drive in with her sunglasses on and windows down, music flaring, just like life is going on. Dan went down for the crimes, and she's still living her perfect little life driving in and out of the garage at Camden Martinique like nothing happened. It's just well, he he took the fall for a crime that I was aware of. Puss sucked for him, but I'm still okay. That's how
0: I saw it. And speaking of driving in and out of Camden Martinique's, I wanted you to share with our listeners the story that you shared with me about you and Jake on the balcony the Saturday morning after Sam's disappearance on Friday and nobody knows at this point where Sam is. Nobody knows at this point that Julie is murdered and lying lifeless in Sam's apartment. This is that Saturday morning when you see Sam's car drive in and you thought finally Sam has arrived home. Would you share with our listeners that story please?
1: Sure yes. So uh, Jake and I were standing out on our balcony. Um, And we were talking about, where's Sam? Because we had gone over and knocked on his door. He didn't show up to his parents' house for dinner. Nobody knew where he was. We were all wondering, where is Sam? Well, then we're standing out on the balcony, and we see Sam's car come in. And we're like, oh, there's Sam. But then you look in the car, Sam is not driving. And in the passenger seat, we saw somebody with a black hat on and sunglasses. And we were like, well, who is that? And it's clearly not Sam driving the car. And that was a really big red flag for us. Because if nobody knows where Sam is, yet here's his car with somebody driving it that isn't Sam. And then this passenger who we didn't know at the time who it was. I'm not sure if they ever figured out who it was, whether it be Noah Buffett or Dan Wozniak's brother. But it definitely wasn't Sam. So that really threw us off. That was concerning.
0: And Jake said that the The driver was was Dan, Dan Wozniak.
1: Yeah, so he was on my right side, and he saw the driver. I didn't see the driver, but I said, that's not Sam. He's like, is that Dan? And I said, I don't know. I I didn't see the driver's face. I just saw his arm on the wheel. So Jake had a better view of the driver. I got the passenger side, and I remember him saying, is that Dan? It looks like Dan. But at that point, whatever, like maybe Sam let him borrow his car. We don't know.
0: Yes, because but. normally you said if you, you, I guess Jake was yelling out Sam, Sam, and, yeah. Normally, I guess Jake said to me that he was with you on the balcony and he noticed the car too and realized it wasn't Sam driving, but in fact it was Dan Wozniak driving. But initially he was calling out Sam's name and he said Sam would have stopped the car and popped out and waved and, and and he didn't. Do you re- Do you remember why you guys didn't go down to the garage to? To confront whoever it was in Sam's car?
1: I don't remember. Um, At that point, I don't think Sam had been missing that long. Um, But I do remember I was facing Jake, and then Jake was facing me. And so Jake could see in the direction of the driveway coming into the apartment complex. So he's the first one that saw Sam's car. So he started waving his hand, yelling, Sam. And I turned around. So the car drove below our balcony and was waiting to go into the garage to their building, to Dan and Sam's building. And that's when, as they were turning, I saw the passenger and Jake was like, is that Dan? And then that was the end of that. They drove in and he was like, well, that was weird to this day. I wish that we would have gone down there. I wish we would have, but for some reason we didn't. At that point it was like, it was, Nerve, we were nervous because Sam wasn't contacting anybody, but he hadn't been missing that long to have it be that big of a concern. We knew that Sam was planning on going to dinner at his parents. Um, we weren't sure what had happened after that or if he had ever gone. So this all kind of unfolded before we knew what happened.
0: Well, I do have so, a source that told me that that was Dan and Tim, and Tim was there to help him clean up The apartment, the blood, position Julie's body, write the words, fuck you, all yours, on the back of her sweater. And uh, I guess Tim lightened up some things he thought might have had some value in that apartment and, and took them with him. And Yeah. And yet Tim ended up being a witness for the prosecution. They needed him to testify against his brother. So he pled guilty to a felony and received no jail time, which is interesting because I've often at this point heard Matt Murphy frame Tim Wozniak as just another victim of Dan Wozniak, just like Sam Hare and Julie Kibirishi. And I find that to be disturbing.
1: It makes me sick to hear that if, Jake and I would have just gone down to Sam's apartment when we saw his car pull in. That would have changed everything. If if we had just gone down there, knowing now what they were doing and why they were there, it makes me sick.
0: It's, it's easy to say in hindsight, twenty twenty, and it's uh, it, it you do wonder. Of course, you play these things in in your mind, but there was at that point nothing. That could have been done. Both your friends were already gone, and uh, yeah. maybe it would have, it would have bolstered the case against Tim Wozniak.
1: Yeah, it's sad. I just i I think about Sam and Julie every day. I mean, I still reach out to Steve and Raquel, and I'm always thinking about them. And I just wish that there could have been some signs or something that we could have done to prevent this because. It's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, those two families lost their children and Stephen and Raquel lost their only son because of money and greed and evil. It's just, it, I, I don't know. It's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking. Julie, so happy, beautiful dancer, beautiful heart, just the sweetest thing. And she was just coming over to be a good friend to Sam. She still had her tiara on from her brother's engagement, and she's going over to Sam's apartment to be a good friend, and she's murdered. It, I don't, I don't understand it. It's-
0: and it's all for her to be a prop in some sick, twisted murder mystery plan that they concocted, so that they yeah. can uh, go get a few. Bucks that they didn't earn so they can have a nice cruise. Yeah. It really is.
1: Disgusting.
0: One of the saddest tales.
1: It is. And the Hares are the most amazing people. I mean, Steve Hare has such a huge heart. He's so strong. And he's been a great support to Sam's friends, even though he's dealing with his own grief and loss. And yet he's still... course he's dedicated to getting justice for his son in every way as we all are but I mean his his strength is amazing I mean him and Raquel both are just amazing people and it's just so unfair and heartbreaking that this happened to those people they're the last people that deserve
0: that. And all of Sam's friends and all of you that check in with them all the time means so much to them. They they don't feel alone when they hear from, from all of you at different points in your life. So keep doing what you're doing because it really does matter to them. And I just, I'm always so amazed, particularly with Steve, that he can maintain that sense of humor and and make me laugh when we're talking about the most horrific of of tragedies in his life, like took away his life. And yet he Absolutely. still finds a, sense, a a reason to laugh. I, I just, he inspires me.
1: Right. He just continues to find joy in life in any way that he can. And it's, like I said, it's inspiring. If he can survive that and get through that and continue living life with the attitude that he has, nothing can get in the way of anybody else's happiness and joy in their life. We're so blessed and, and Steve continues to see himself as blessed regardless of what happened to him and his family, literally ripped apart by someone so evil, but he still has the joy in his life. And it's just, it's amazing. It really is.
0: It is indeed. Ashley, do you have anything more that you would like listeners to know about the Rachel Buffett? you met so briefly way back in 2010
1: yeah I mean I'm sure that some of the listeners have probably seen the Dr. Phil episode with Rachel Buffett and I'm sure a lot of people probably believed her but let me tell you from personal experience you can't believe a word that comes out of that girl's mouth everything she says is a lie it's all staged and scripted for her own benefit and I just I I hope we get justice I mean, she needs to be locked up, just like Dan. She's just as much of an animal as he is. And I just, I hope we get justice because she deserves to be behind bars for the rest of her life, in my opinion.
0: Thank you so much, Ashley, for your time and your insights. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you.
1: Thank you so much, Linda. It was great talking
0: to you. You have a wonderful day. You
1: too. Bye-bye.
0: Next up on Sleuth, we interview Kristen Crane, who was formerly Kristen Bergamasco and went to college with Rachel, and has quite a few stories to tell us about her experience performing alongside her in their school theater. If you enjoyed this episode of Sleuth, share it with a friend and be sure to leave a rating or review. Follow Sleuth on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.